Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 1PM. Um, you're joined by me, Adian. We've got Jason in the driver's seat, JT over there on the far end. And uh, today we're going to be talking to you guys about some very relevant stuff. Quick OSCE tips. This is the stuff that you guys should be able to implement in your current study and prepare you as best you can for the next five weeks. Yeah. Take, take it away, Jason. Cool, yeah. So just for some context, um, JT, AD and I, um, <clears throat> we're fourth years. We just got our exam results last week and we've passed. We've passed? We've passed, guys. This does not mean that we're experts at OSCEs. But we've passed two OSCEs now. <laughs> well, we've passed two OSCEs, okay? And us three all studied together um, for pretty much the past couple of years. And I think we've kind of kind of come up with a, a bunch of rules and things we've kind of learned over the last two years for how to approach OSCEs. And Would you say they're the first principles? Yes, the first principles of the OSCEs. But once again, we're not experts. Uh, we're we're just, here just average students, you know? We're just average students who just passed. That's all. And I'm sure every other average student out there who's passed their OSCEs, congratulations to everyone else, has some sort of first principles that they've picked up along the way. But unfortunately, the school never tells you about these explicitly. So these are some of the unofficial tips and mm. tricks to understanding how to pass these OSCEs. Yeah. So I'll get JT to go through one of his key first principles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's just put it bluntly. There's two, two parts to this, but the first thing is the OSCE is a game, guys. And really? Yes, it's a game and it's an act. And so because of that, there is no standardization as you expect as a student. The school's gonna, you know, do their best to standardize everything and, and rightly so, but it's actually gonna be really hard to standardize everything to make sure that everyone has the same sort of station, same sort of examiner, same sort of actor during that time. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, your point about the game is important to realize because I think for me, when I was practicing OSCEs, um, I would think, I would sometimes think that, you know, the OSCE is a reflection of who I am as a future doctor, but really oh. it's not. It's literally a performance. Like think of yourself as an actor, an actress, because it's, in my opinion, not a true reflection of your clinical ability. And having that in mind may reduce some of the anxiety you have before going to the OSCE. Um, yeah, no, it makes sense. If you're going to be anxious about it, don't be anxious that you'll be a shit doctor. Just be anxious that you'll be shit at the yeah. OSCE. They're two separate things. <laughs> like how you, how you perform as a doctor in real life versus your OSCE performance, in my opinion, don't have as much of a correlation as you'd think. And you might actually want to do a study, right? Like yeah, based, see on, based, on, the, based on sample size of one. <laughs> yeah. See, see, see if um, the SCA results and the CPR results, yeah. whether or not they're correlated with any OSCE marks. I'm pretty uh, sure it's going to be nothing. And yeah, and just going back to the game thing, the perfect analogy thing is like, it's like a driving test. Mm -hmm. You know, a driving test, you've got to accentuate certain features. Like you've got yeah. to make sure you're looking left and yes, right, yes. checking your blind spot properly. Like that is literally what you have to do with the OSCE. You have to be like, I will do an A to E assessment and call for help. And like, you got to really accentuate certain points and to ensure that you're a safe doctor. The best thing in the ATE thing, um, in any like trauma, simu tra uh, ALS simulation is, you know, look for danger. You got to exaggerate that. You want to see if the wheels on the bed are moving or not. So it's all a game, guys. And your point about the standardization thing is important because yeah, OSCEs in a perfect world, they should be very standardized. But one thing the uni, like I guess every uni has trouble with is standardizing the examiners. So for example, some examiners really help you. They smile at you, they nod along, and it gives you that warm fl fluffy feeling inside, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thinking, that you've, uh, that, thinking that you've done well. Whereas sometimes you have these examiners who are just stone, stone, cold, yeah, stone cold killers. 
man, you think you, you you think you're confident, and then all of a sudden, like you're rattling off your management plan, and they're just staring deep into your soul, and you're like, "Fuck, I'm gonna fail this." That's what they've been told, right? They've been told that you cannot give any sort of feedback or any response, but you know, everyone interprets that differently, and so. That can work in your favor, actually. So if you have that kind of examiner who prompts you, attempts to move you through a station, then, you know, listen to them. They'll be like, what are some examinations that you want to do? Then maybe you've missed something. Maybe you can yeah. act on that. He or she might interrupt you or redirect you or point you to something. Like, actually let them do that. So mm. just stop whatever it is you were saying and do whatever it is the examiner tells you yeah. to do. Try to listen to them. Because <laughs> the important thing here is that by doing that, your global score might go down because you needed prompting, but your checklist mark goes up because you've actually hit the things that mm. they need to tick off. So it's, again, it's part of the gamesmanship, right? So if you have a good enough global score, you've smiled, you're friendly, you know, you're safe, you just need those checklist marks and the examiner mm. wants to give them to you, let them give them and to you. And while we're talking about the game stuff, right? If you're out of ideas and you don't know, you're taking your history and don't know what the differentials are, just move on, just literally move on to the next, move on to the next part because there are other marks in every other part to get. Yeah. You just want to get over the passing mark because you can get 100% in a history, zero marks exam, zero marks management. Mm. And the redirections, yeah, can help you get those extra marks. And also sometimes you can be completely going down a rabbit hole or misinterpreting the question. And sometimes those redirections are kind of like prompts from the examiner, even though they're not really meant to do it. We have a perfect example between the, between the three of us, right? So at least me and Adrian had the same, st well, everyone had the same station that we were going through and there were time allocated for each prompt on the OSCE sheet. So like two minutes for a snoring history, three minutes for investigations, three minutes for um, explain to the patient. So with my examiner, he was like, he had a stopwatch going and he was like, move on to the next task, move on to the next task, which was great for me. And for Adian, what happened to I, you? I had none of that. <laughs> I'll, get into it, I'll, get into, I'll get into it later, but let's just say that I did not have the best station in that station. Yeah. Um, again, it goes to the lack of standardization. It's not a deal breaker, but you can imagine how it might affect your performance on the day. We don't know our marks yet. Yeah, so we don't know. Maybe Adrian did better than yeah, <laughs> Maybe Maybe the guy just... Yeah, all I know is I passed eight. That's, and all, that's, all, all, that yeah. that's all that matters. We may have failed some stations, but you know, we passed the minimum pressure. <laughs> that's all, right. all I know right now. All right, going to structure, guys? Yes. So one of the next points, one of the first principles um, is structure, 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 okay? So it's very important that you come across organized in the, your thought and how you ask questions because... Like, it's not necessarily saying that if you come across disorganized that you'll fail, but it'll make it much harder for you to get higher marks in an OSCE station. That global score. Okay? So, one, like, each OSCE group and each student has their own structure for how they go about doing questions. So, the structure us three kind of came, um, came across and kind of developed over the last couple of years was as following. And you probably hear it in our episodes anyway, yeah. right? That's how our episodes are structured. So, this structure is not perfect. Everyone's got their own. And it, the aim is not to copy our structure word for word. It is simply to act as a guide, okay? And honestly, the best way is to develop your own structure, which works and is memorable for you. So for me personally, the way I'd always start uh, any station is to introduce myself, okay? I always say, hi, what my name is and what my role is and what team I'm on, okay? And this serves as a dual purpose because it shows that you're confident to the examiner and it also helps build confidence in yourself because you have these go-to phrases which just kind of settle your nerves. After that, in my mind, I'm always thinking, 
does an A to E assessment have to be done for this patient? While we're okay. talking about the introduction, I just want to add that, you know, in MD2, I remember our introductions were at least like a minute long. And MD3, maybe like 30 seconds. Mm. MD4 becomes like maybe 10 seconds. You can really do it quickly. Yeah. And I think people get really bogged down. They have to write down which team they're part of or what role yeah. they are. I think what I do, I just say, hi, my name is JT. I'm a junior doctor. Yeah. I'm part of the medical team. That's, yeah, that's all that's I have. That's perfect. Yeah. That's what yeah. I do personally. Yeah. My, my mind's like, hi, my name is Eddie. I'm one of the doctors on the team here. That's and that's it. it. That's, that's it. it. Yeah. I don't remember what team I'm on, but yeah. I'm on the team. <laughs> Because you don't, you don't yeah. need to know that, right? Really that's not going to be the pass or fail yeah. of your thing. And you don't really remember the age of the patient either in their yeah. 60s, 70s. That's sufficient, but you know? as stupid as it sounds, introducing yourself just kind of calms you down and yeah. it makes you appear a lot more competent than if you don't do it. Um, so in my mind, I always think, do I need to do an A to E assessment? Is this patient very, very unwell at the moment? And then after with a history, what I tend to do is always confirm the patient's ID and uh, their age. So I ask them, like, what's your name and how old are you? Just before I begin taking the history. And it's very important that you still remember the basics of the history, right? You always want to start off with an open question. And then you want to evaluate the presenting complaint and try to come up with presenting complaint questions which are relevant, uh, relevant to what they've come in with, okay? Then you want to do a systems review. Then you want to go through all the usual comprehensive history, such as like the past medical history, medications, allergies, blah, 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 blah. Even the social history like smoking, nutrition, alcohol, and their personal history, such as like their living arrangements and what they do for work. Okay, so the basics are still present. We've all learned that over the course of the degree, but just remember to still have that structure, okay? I think um, what you have to realize again is that the OSCEs are a game. And so the people marking you have been medically trained in a way to, th to listen to how you respond. Mm. And so there was something that Neil said the other day during the OSCE prep, you can give us a bit more insight on how they mark, right? So Jason, do you remember that? Yeah, so because the examiners tend to be medical, yeah. um, they wanna see your like train of thought. Yes. So they wanna see like, are you ruling out a space occupying lesion by asking like, do you have any headaches? Is it worse when lying down? Like signs of it raise intracranial pressure and things like that. So if you do ask them, it kind of demonstrates to the examiner that, oh, you're thinking about this type of differential and make sure you try to do in a systematic approach. Yeah. Because sometimes the trap is that uh, you do your presenting complaint history and then you jump back and forth between your past medical history and, your, and then you go to your like smoking history and then you jump back to the presenting complaint history. Sometimes it's unavoidable if you're very unsure about what's going on, but it's better for you like global score if you just kind of stick to the systematic structure of doing presenting complaint history, systems review, and then your comprehensive history. Yeah. So after the history, like everything, you want to then do an examination. And the way I always thought about exams, this was just to help with memories. I used to think of what are the general examination things I wanna do and what are the specific exams I wanna do. So with the general exam, I'd always say, I'd like to uh, do an end of the bed assessment or general observation, and I'd like to assess their vitals. And this is pretty much applicable to every single station you can ever do. And then I would go on to say, I would specifically do a cardiovascular exam to rule out any murmurs. Or for example, if they've got a blocked ear, I would say I would then specifically do an ENT assessment to look for things like a red bulging tympanic membrane or something like that, okay? And so at the higher level of your examination, it's actually quite important to tell them what you're looking for. Just because briefly too. Like if just a ENT exam would get you the pass, but if you're like, oh, I wanna see if there's any erythema yeah. or any like otorrhea, then that can tell the examiner that, oh, you're actually considering yeah. the differentials in mm. your examination. And so that's how over time 
even if, if you're an MD2 listening right now, over time, the way that you take your history will be more targeted. And that's yes. the type of questions that they want to hear, right? Yeah, and it, it can be, it has to be brief and you have to be quite slick at saying, you don't want to spend uh, five minutes explaining what you do um, in the examination. So after you go through your genuine- specific- Just, just going to go through that again. So uh, again, because your exams, your OSCEs are like five weeks away. If you are at the stage where you are having trouble just saying the exams and you can't really add in the fact you need to say specific things in the exams, it's okay. Yeah. Like don't, mm. again, like if you, if you say you want to do a cardiovascular exam and, that's, get you the and that's the limit of what mm. you can say because you're too worried about anything else, that's fine. And, and they can prompt you if they still want more. They'll they, say, they what might would prompt you look you, yeah. for the cardiovascular exam? And yeah. you can just answer. Yeah. But remember, just having structure, right? So exam, we broke down to general and specific. And then moving on to investigations. Yeah. The way I broke it down was I would always think of bedside investigation, yeah. bloods, yeah. imaging, micro and special yeah. investigations. It's really important to remember bedside investigations yeah. um, because there's only a few of them you really have to remember. Okay. So... There's the classic things are ECG, yeah. urinalysis, BSL and ketones, a bladder scan and spirometry. And that's really all of them or the ones I used to always think of is like, oh, what bedside investigations would I do? There's a mnemonic for this and something oh, that is? we might cover oh. up in the next episode. But the one that I've, I've been using is Super C. So S for sugars, so BSL. Usually I put BSL and ketones together, U for UA. P for pregnancy, so beta HCG, oh, E for is. ECG, C for cultures, but you put that in micro, right? Mm. And then C for, oh no, R for respiratory, yeah. R for respiratory, so the spirometry stuff. But the re- it's just, yeah. it sounds true, but having in your mind, thinking of bedside, bloods, imaging, micro, special, whatever structure you have, just helps you think of ideas on the spot. Because sometimes you, people jump straight, like straight, oh, I'm going to do an MRI, but they haven't ordered a basic blood test right and it it comes across as like you're jumping the gun too much if you don't have that structured approach and then after bedside blood tests um sometimes you can even further subcategorize that into like what are some urgent blood tests which i'd like to do the classic ones would be like a bbg and a blood culture Um, some other general ones which most patients get are like a full blood count a uec lft and then you can also think of what are some specific blood tests. For example, if they're, if you're concerned about a, a pancreatitis, you'd want to order a lipase, or you'd want to order troponin if they've got chest pain. Okay. But once again, have that structure in your head, and then you think of imaging. Would I like to order any imaging? So imaging, there's only really a few options again, right? Yeah. You got the classic ultrasound, chest X-ray, echo, um, CT, and MRI. Okay. So you think in your head, yeah. What imaging do, does a patient require? And then you move on to micro. So the classic micro ones you can think of, the things like a viral PCR, a sputum or wound MCNS. And then special tests, they're special because they're not often done, but the classic ones I thought of were like a sleep study, if you think they've got OSA or like a pleurofluid analysis. So if, yeah, those were the special ones which came to mind. Okay. And, and- being a on the other side of the table, being a marker for one of the mosques um, recently, it's quite clear that if you have these signposts in mind when you're thinking about investigations, not only helps yourself, but also helps the ex- examiner in giving you the yeah. marks for it. And so hmm. that I think from some of the marking, it was quite clear that the high achieving students yeah. were able to think like that. And this is also how the examiners think too, right? So um, you just got to, 
you know, join the mm. medical community. And this is the yeah. way of thinking that we have been trained to be. Yeah. And then uh, next point I was going is management. Okay. So with the management, you always want to uh, think about, do they need an A to E assessment uh, for hemodynamic stability? Like, is it a very urgent thing? And then we further subcategorize our management into non-medical, medical, and surgical. And once again, we subcategorize into those three because it just helps with the idea generation. So you think non-medical, things I can do are things like lifestyle advice, patient education about the disease, any referral to non-medical specialties. And then for medical, you can further subcategorize into things like, oh, what are some supportive therapy I can give? What specialists do I have to refer to? What, like, what is the definitive kind of management of this? And once again, you've got surgical as well. Are there any surgical options for this? And it's important to think, especially about the non-medical and medical, because you'll lose a significant amount of marks if you don't think of the non-pharmacological kind of management things. Yeah, we'll go into the counselling a little yeah. bit more later as well. And later. the last thing, this is really icing on the cake, but this is something we kind of added to help us remember and to get those extra few marks. We call it DFS, and it stands for Disposition, Follow-Up and Safety Net. So usually with all the stations, you always want to think about disposition. So like a nice statement at the end of your station would be like, oh, in terms of disposition, I think the patient needs to go to ICU because they're hemodynamically unstable, for example. Or follow-up, if it's like a GP station you want to be, yeah, we'll follow up in a week's time to see how you're going with this new medication. And safety netting is very important, especially when you're discharging them from an ED or from the GP. Like come back to ED if you're experiencing worsening pain or... I uh, feel very short of breath. So yeah, that's essentially how we approach most of our stations. Once again, you don't need to copy it. This is just to get you thinking about the structures and the common structures other students have used. And of course, you should be modifying the structure to the type of station that you get. Yeah. And so um, we have a breakdown of this on the notion, yeah. but like in a GP station, you do something differently. A mm. surgery station, a ED station, a rural station. Mm. The, the idea is if you're an MD2 or an MD3 right now, have this framework first, and then by the time you're an MD4, you can keep adding onto the scaffolding. Yes. And that's when you become a bit more creative and, and have a bit more freedom into how you answer the question. Once again, and of course, the rest of your yeah. medical career too. And that scaffolding just really helps with thinking of ideas on the spot when you're under a lot of pressure. One yeah. last thing is you have two minutes of that reading time before each station. Mm. One of the best things I think you can do that I found quite useful for me was come up with at least three differentials from that prompt that you get. Usually it's quite clear. It'll be like a shortness of breath. If you come up with three, that's good. Five is excellent according to mm. those faculty members too. And so with those differentials, you can then target your history, your exam and your investigations and you're halfway there in the OSCE. So moving on now, so the next point I wanted to make, or next principle was, <laughs> it sounds stupid, but uh, hear me out, is actually answering the question, okay? So sometimes the most difficult thing about the OSCE is interpreting the question the correct way. So from speaking from personal experience, um, sometimes you can answer the question poorly simply because you misinterpreted it and you haven't realized and you've just totally gone down the wrong track on, on answering the question and there are generic types of questions. So classic ones are like take a focus history, physical examination, interpret some blood tests or a chest x-ray, assessing a patient, counseling a patient, um, discussing or reviewing a patient. So on the Notion document, we've just got a few of these common question types and what are the certain things you wanna to do to, to answer the question appropriately, okay? 
And perhaps there's a bit of, I guess, dissonance between the students and the examiners. The examiners always say, we're not out there to trick you because they write these um, prompts in a specific way. But unfortunately, they haven't told us what those prompts mean. And so this is only after doing a few yeah. OSCEs a few times. So, and also mm. um, someone came in to explain what these mean, that you can understand what yeah. they're looking for. And, and, the and just looking at mark schemes and yeah. being more familiar with the types of OSCE frameworks, you then yeah, start to realize, oh, when they ask about focus history or whatever, this is what they want from me. But that brings on to Aiden's next point. Uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. So just going to go back a little bit. So uh, just some tips as well for like the staying on target for example everyone hates the focus history because what even is a focus history right so often important. often the focus histories they will give you a list of information about the patient with the expectation that you don't have to ask it so for example they might tell you the medication this person's on ramipril uh, statin and aspirin or something yeah. like that now sometimes you might not trust that right but rather than ask them about medications and it makes you seem a little bit less competent, you could ask instead and say, I have a list of medications here. Is this correct? Hmm. I have a list of your allergies here. Is this correct? It's a nice shortcut. So it's just like you're showing the examiner you're being thorough, but you're not wasting a lot of time. Hmm. So it's just like small things like that. Sometimes they do a dick move, and I hate this myself, yeah. that they'll give you the medication list, but they'll just miss the allergies. Yeah. And so in the, examina in the examination sheet, you're supposed to ask the allergies. Yeah. Hmm. Which is, you know, interrupt your flow, I think. Allergy is one of those things you always just ask, yes. right? Um, but anyway, going, going forward now to the what they answer, what they don't ask you. So again, like JT was saying, they tell you they're not to trick you. And I actually genuinely believe they don't think they are tricking you. But, but, not but in reality, <laughs> some of it are tricks. So for example, the classic thing is how many times have you guys done a practice ask you and the prompt did not ask you to take a history. But then you look on the marking key and there were marks for a history. So often those prompts would be something like review a patient exactly. or assess a patient exactly. or, you know, something like that. So what we've learned through um, a talk from one of, the, one of the lecturers essentially is that if you see the word review, it basically means do a history. It can be a brief history, but you need to ask some questions relevant to that presentation, yeah. examine them or yeah. rather say what examinations you want to do and then identify any investigations or management going forward, okay? So review basically means do multiple things in one task. Exactly. The beauty of that, mean, however, is like it's fair, it is kind of fair in the sense they're not expecting you to do a lot of history in that. Mm -hmm. It's very, very brief related to their presentation, okay? Yeah. And the same word applies for assess a patient, okay? Yeah. And so what you would, how would you assess a patient in the ED? You would do a history, mm. examine, and investigate. But these are things that are just batched together. And if yeah. the ED consultant didn't tell us and we didn't tell you, you would just, the only way you would know is by failing the station. You're like, yeah. where the hell did I go wrong? Because you think you're doing it right, but you haven't realized that you missed a huge chunk uh, of the K. And then going forward as well. So there are, um, there are certain sub triggers or yeah. sub categories where they don't actually tell you that. So for example, if it's a medication counseling station, a patient has just been prescribed a statin and they want to talk to you about the statin. You'd think you'd then just go and talk to them about the statin. But what you should do is very beginning, you should ask them about any symptoms they might have been experiencing related to why they were placed on the statin. So for example, holistic. yeah, exactly. So for, and you would do this in real life as well. So it is fair enough. So for you example, 
someone comes in, they've been put on a statin because they just had a STEMI. Mm. You would ask them if they've had any chest pain, any STEMI symptoms recently or ACS symptoms recently. And again, you don't have to do a lot, just a a few Mm. things, right? Going on that again as well is, this is a bit more specific, but if it's a counseling station and they've asked you to counsel about a specific medication or a procedure, what they're really asking you is to talk about that medication, but also talk about the non-medication mm. things. So this goes back to earlier when we are like talking about weight, the yeah, your, your medical, non-medical yeah. stuff. So if a patient's come into you talking about their statin, they need to have left with you also talking about the fact that they might be overweight, they need to stop smoking, stop drinking, do more exercise. <laughs> yeah. Snap W, yeah. that's the mnemonic. So the safe thing we've, we've found is that at any yeah. of these stations, it's never not appropriate to talk about a lifestyle thing. Yes. And again, it's one of those things where every single lifestyle thing is the same. It's always the same. So you can just, re- <laughs> just memorize a quick you know, minute spiel about oh. all these things and just say it at Forgettable the Forgettable empathy. You yeah. just need to get those marks. You just need to say yeah. the marks. Right? You want to talk about smoking? Let's talk about it another time. I'll yeah. call, just cut it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But just raise the fact. Like, oh, you're just up to raising smoking. it. Because yeah. that yeah, gets you the ticks, right? Oh. And with medications that we found... Allergies is something that you always have to ask, yes. even if it's been given on that chart, on the on your prompt, okay? You gotta ask specifically what allergies they had. Is it to sulfur? And then is it related when to penicillin or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, another thing as well, so this is, this is one of those things where um, it sort of maximizes your ability to get marks. So often in these counseling stations, it will be patient-focused language. Yeah. So one of the things that gets a bit hard is you've gone through medical school, you learn how to talk about medical language, mm-hmm. and then you got to yeah. dumb it down for a patient yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not medical. Yeah. Aiden does this very well. So what you need to do is you need to say one thing for the patient and say another thing for the examiner. Yeah. So for, exam- for example, going back to the statins, you need to tell the patient, oh, you know, we give you this medication is to lower your cholesterol to prevent you from getting a heart attack. And then to the examiner, you highlight the fact that this medication is called atorvastatin. You know? <laughs> so you've, you've highlighted to the examiner, yeah. you know what the medication is, yeah. but you've highlighted that you know how to explain it to the patient. And, and it can be really, really easy, yeah. right? You you can talk about the. You don't need to mention mention the HMG coas reductase. The simpler, the better. Like, there's no there's no point in that. It just says, oh, it lowers the cholesterol. You don't even know how to explain how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it all ties back to, it reduces your reduces the <laughs> chance of this happening again. Yeah, right. That's all. It's, it's, it's a copper. Yeah, it's, and, but, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that brings up my next point um, about communication. Okay, communication is very, very important. Okay, and I call it the vibe check. Okay, um, so how many times when you've marked your friends doing an OSCE, you just lose focus and forget what they've said? Okay, it's quite a com- common thing. Examiners are humans too, yeah. right? And so imagine them listening to your shitty history eight times in a row. Okay, um, so <laughs> <laughs> the point is if you're competent in the station, okay, and you appear to know what you're doing. They often just pass you or even give you above expectations because they lose focus and you look confident. You're smiling at them. Uh, you're speaking in like uh, in a nice, calm manner and you appear confident, right? So they're like, oh, this person knows what they're well, doing. I, I think I'll we're just give them a pass. I, I think, take a step back. I don't <laughs> think it's like necessarily, oh, we just pass through it, but they're more likely to pass you. Yes. They're more likely to be like, oh, like this person like seems to know what they're doing. Yeah. They've missed a few things, but they seem yeah, to know what they're doing. Yeah, it's between a borderline yeah. and a pass, but yeah. they've smiled and yeah, they've yeah. spoken. You're not shivering, you're not anxious, yeah. Yeah. you're not mumbling. Like. And as stupid as it sounds, like just remembering to speak slowly or slower than usual and pausing, it's much better than rambling and repeating information. And that's why it's really important to practice in groups and have 
like, and get uh, criticism from your colleagues. And I know it's hard because these guys used to roast me all the time for repeating Troponin? the same question. So I'd like, I'd ask them, oh, do you have any chest pain? And I'm like, and then later on in the history, I'd ask again, like, do you have any chest pain again? Or like, and it, yeah, it just, it, it kind of made me look incompetent because I kept asking the same question over and over again. And, and, I, and, and it's also sometimes I've realized you might not need to write down everything while you're taking a history. Like yeah. this might be helpful for your future, like in real life, but in the OSCE, it's quite clear what the picture is. Yeah. And writing something down, breaking the eye contact with the patient does, if you're actually writing yeah. everything down, it does look a bit oh, like. And one thing is that you're marked on what they hear and not exactly. what you say. <laughs> so you may think that you're saying all the right things, but if you're speaking so quickly that the examiner can't hear you, you will not get the mark. And this okay. is what frustrates me when I work with Jason all the time. I'm like, bloody hell, I, I swear I said it. And this is probably what happens with a lot of people, right? Yeah. But if you can signpost, take a few more seconds to explain what you're saying, yeah. then that will serve you better because you're not marking yourself, right? Mm. So when you're practicing and stuff and your, your friend tells you you haven't said it, it's very hard, but try not to be defensive. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't count. So you need to go back and do it, right? Yeah. Um, it's hard to take criticism, but yeah. for sure. So just like make a big show of what you're doing. Speak slower if you can. Speak louder if you can. Obviously, don't shout. But And if you need to be expressive, be expressive. Mm. Um, I'm just, so sorry for yeah, your loss. Exactly. Like exactly. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any ideas, yeah. any concerns? What do you like you to You laugh, get? man. It's a vibe check. I'm telling you now. Because in so. the end, they're like, uh, is this, is this person legit? Can I trust them? Ah, spoke slowly. It should be <laughs> okay, moving on. Next point. Um, often we all, yeah. One thing I've realized or started to think about was what will actually fail you in an OSCE station, okay? I think the main thing is showing to the examiner that you're unsafe. Things which would like make you appear unsafe is like not calling for help, um, not asking certain red flag questions or you're not recognizing that this is an absolute emergency and you're not treating it appropriately. And if you're a student or an intern, if you're concerned that that's an emergency, just call for it. There's you, no down, there's no consequence yeah, to it really. The way I think about it, like it may reduce your global score, but it, like for example, calling for help, it may reduce your global score if it's inappropriate, but it won't fail you, but you'll fail if you don't call for help if exactly. it's an emergency. Does that make sense? So you never get a fail for asking for help, but you get a fail if you didn't ask for help. <laughs> there are some specific things that we have on the notion that through doing it, you will link it to certain things. So for example, if you notice the patient is rural and this patient is unwell, RFDS is something yes. you'd always say. So things like that. That's this is a WA context, yeah, by so the way. If you're w, a, yeah, if you're yeah. listeners you might have local equivalents of transfer from a rural to a tertiary mm. center. RFDS is Royal Flying Doctor Service, available in WA, but um, it's one of those things where it's you're just arranging for the logistics of a patient because you care about their holistic well-being. Mm. Um, other things as well, especially for MD3s now, because I have a PEDS and an ONG station, mm. is consent and confidentiality. So often the context here is you're talking to a teenager in ED with a potential mental health issue or in the GP setting. You always have to do confidentiality. Um, that is one of the things, in fact, that might fail you in a station or at least really affect your ability to, to score, to do well in it, is if you don't tell about confidentiality. So this is one of those things where I just have a very quick like pre-recorded spiel that you give to everyone. You can just knock out and you're done. What's yeah, something you say, it. Jason? 
Sorry? What's your confidential spiel? Oh, so yeah, whatever we discuss today remains confidential, except for things like if you want to cause harm to yourself or harm to others, or I think you're in danger. Yeah. Something along those lines. Something like that, yeah. Just to tick the box, seriously. Exactly. And while we're on peds, always do the heads if it's a teenager, right? Yep. Teenager is always heads. Head screen, yeah. And I guess this is examiner dependent, but I'd like to think that if the examiner thinks you're off track, they can just tell you to move on. Or you're spending yes. too much time on the heads and there is no heads yes. to answer, <laughs> then the good ones will be like, just move on, move on. Yeah. The bad ones will just let you keep going. <laughs> okay. And the, the last point I wanted to make was about just being, just about confidence on the day. Really, like in my opinion, half the battle of the OSCE is really controlling your emotions on the day and not letting the stress get to you. And it's easier said than done. But I've just come up with a few tips, which I think will help you on the day. Um, One of those things is actually like what I call um, practice like freestyling. So what I mean by that, I think it's very important to practice stations you have no idea or you're not confident about. And that's really so that you can mimic that uncomfortable feeling you may experience on the day. Because no matter how well you are prepared, there will be some station on the day which fucking confuses you and bamboozles you (laughs) and you need to know how to freestyle on the spot okay and just get that pass mark and scrape that pass mark okay they know that you're going to be nervous so and and then they're trying to pass you like really it's a pain from a university university (laughs) perspective if half the cohort fails because then they blame the uni not you so they really want to to pass the vast majority of students i think other things which help with confidence on the day is doing maybe like one to two full simulation days with your friends so like what i mean by that is like practicing 12 stations under the exam conditions just so you experience what it's like going from station to station and practice that feeling of like you know i'm going to block out the previous station i just did because i shut the bed on that one i'm going to move on to the next one and and it was good because if you're like the way we did is that you're examiner for the first half or so maybe you're the student on the first half and the second half you're the examiner and as the examiner you just practice the stations you did really shit in and then listening to the same spiel 10 times in a row <laughs> it forces you to learn the station without you realizing <laughs> um, and the, the last thing was that yeah on the day just realize that some examiners are mean and they'll just give you a cold stare this regardless of how standardized. you're doing okay so try not to let it affect your confidence when answering questions. Because they like you could be getting 10 out of 10 or whatever, but they would just stare at you as if they hate you. Okay? And it's just important to kind of block that out. But again... Once again, it um, shit happens. I think some of the things that might help, specifically if you get the examiner that's not giving you anything, is just ask, like, make sure you have the trigger in front of you and sort of met yourself try and say, all right, I've... Yeah, I've said enough in the history. All right, cool. I've probably passed that. Yeah, I said what exams want to do. Yeah, cool. I've passed that. So you yourself can go through and and make sure you've done each task because the examiner might not be prompting you along. So that's one thing that can help you with that. A little tip there in terms of time management is something that you'll definitely need to do because we are not allowed any like uh, Mm. watches. I think you can have some analog, but yeah, yeah, but uh, you're not going to really be looking at it. So what I used to do in the like, four weeks leading up I would have a stopwatch while doing the OSCE so I have a bit more like oh okay so this is four minutes I'm going to move on now obviously like, the yeah. real thing you, you won't have that stopwatch so like two weeks before I just stopped using a stopwatch and then you start mm. building an internal clock Yeah, and you, you realize as well like the eight minutes to do the station is actually most of the time it's enough time like you actually you can answer enough to get a pass within eight minutes especially because on the day you'll probably be talking faster than you want. Mm. So 
very rarely do people fail because they run out of time. They might not get really good marks because they run out of time. But again, mm. if you just want to get through it, it's actually enough time to get yeah. the pass. And the last thing is, man, everyone around you is nervous. Okay, even that know-it-all person, I bet they're they're freaking out. Okay, and it's really just about controlling emotions on the day because everyone's smart, everyone's capable, and you really just need to manage that stress. So practice some breathing techniques and just believe in yourself. Maybe watch some watch some uh, David Goggins videos and just what, what psych yourself up. What did you guys do on the before. ten minutes for the rest station? Did you meditate? Uh, huh? I meditate. The meditate. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you just—it's <laughs> hard. Your it's thoughts hard. go the ten minutes yeah. because you—you've probably done a shitty station yeah. and then you like reminisce over it. Yeah, but it's probably really hard. Just there—there there are chances to drink some water, go to the bathroom, wash your face or something, yeah. and just reset. Because, but if hey, you're man, a pessimistic person, way, right? just yeah. realize that if you found it hard, it's very likely everyone else found it hard. So, <laughs> and you know what? Loves to do some like wax station every year yeah. for the there anyway, right? Yeah, so always, yeah. there are some things that you won't be able to ex- predict at all. Yeah. And then you've just got to rely on the skills that you've, you've taken yeah. in the rest of as, the year. As Ben Cousins says, such is life, okay? <laughs> but also so. remember, you only need to pass eight. You yeah. can afford to fail four, and yeah. that's okay. Like, if you, if, you failed, if you fail a couple, you fail a couple. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Do, do, do you also want to say that the best way to prepare for OSCEs is by practicing OSCEs, okay? It's not about going yeah. to placement. Going to placement, maybe 20 30%, I'd say, but practice more oskis yeah, you gotta practice then then they become second nature and i think we've already lost a lot of oski skills over the <laughs> last two three weeks because oh, yeah. we just haven't been practicing as much anymore right yeah. so again i would say it's a game it's not standardized and the only way to do it is yeah. by doing oh, more even if, if you, you feel underprepared you still got a few weeks to go you're more than capable to learn these skills okay but thank you all for listening to this first principles of the OSCEs. Um, if you have any questions, just let us know. You can message us on Instagram or through our email address. Uh, we're more than happy to help. But yeah, these are the things we've just learned over the last couple of years. And, and we, we wish hope- someone told us earlier, much yeah. earlier. And we hope it helps you, helps you guys, okay? Um, and the vast majority will pass, right? Yeah. So that doesn't help though, because you don't, you don't know <laughs> yeah. if you're in the vast majority. It makes but, a uni look bad. But, to me, um, so. but yes, yeah. We, we had those same feelings yeah, too. We yeah, thought we would yeah. fail. Everyone thought they would fail, yeah. but you'll make it through the, pa- the finish line. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. All right. Take care. Thanks, Thank you. Cheers. As Ben Cousins says, such is life.